This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. All right. 2 Corinthians 5, we're starting in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are known, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of God, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there are certain events in your life that happen that after the event, you kind of end up saying, okay, this changes everything. This changes everything. Uh, It happened to me when I joined the Army. So um, uh, back in 1993, I enlisted in, actually 94, I enlisted in the uh, National Guard. And uh, so this is my picture. And I remember being at the MEP station and raising my right hand and uh, swearing to give my life, if necessary, for the protection of the country and to the Constitution and also then to abide by the UCMJ, the Universal Code of Military Justice, which means that I'm no longer a civilian. I'm now a soldier. And I remember thinking, man, that, that changes everything. Like I just promised my life to protect this country. That changes everything. It happened again. Maybe more of you can understand this one. It happened again when I got married. So I got married to Courtney in 96 and, uh, we stood up in front of the church and before God. And I promised my life to this one woman for a lifetime. And, um, uh, before that event, I was a single dude. After that event, I was a husband. And so that changed everything. And then there was the birth of Grant, our eldest, who was leading music this morning. <sighs> Cute little boy up there leading music. But anyway, uh, I remember holding him for the first time and uh, saying, I'm a dad. <laughs> I'm a dad. This changes everything. If you understand... What this text has called us to this morning. If you really get deep down the ministry that we've been given by Christ, I don't know how you can walk away without saying, man, this changes everything. Let your eyes fall on it. 
chapter 5, verse number 18. All this from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And watch this. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. Uh, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You see in that? Like that's the title, the ministry that, that changes everything. If that's who I am, I can see nothing the same again. Everything changes. So listen, that becomes our big idea of the day. And I want you to write this down because I want us to own this. But here it is. I will live my life as an ambassador of Christ. I will live my life as an ambassador of Christ. It's huge, church. And it means we've got to look differently at the world. And when I mean look differently, I mean there's some specific things we have to focus on. Now I say that because, you know, like what does it mean to really be an ambassador? Like what does that actually mean in my life? And what I want to do is I want to go back through the entire, entire chapter of chapter 5. I want to look through it all because I think chapter 5 really teaches us what it means to really be an ambassador. If you're an ambassador, what am I going to have to focus on? I think there are four focuses in this text that we need to see. So first of all, I want you to write this one down. Uh, we need to have a new focus. Focus on eternity, a new focus on eternity. Or I would say it this way, the gospel changes the way I see my forever. The gospel changes the way I see my forever. And I want to show you this by doing some Bible studies. Let's let our eyes fall on 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So what he's talking about is this tent right here. Everyone do this and say, this tent. This is, this is your body he's talking about. So look at verse number two. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. For if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, for we are still in this tent. We groan, being burdened. Not that we want to be unclothed, but that we want to be further clothed, so that uh, what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us a spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, the tent, here we are, we're at home here, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are always of good courage. We'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Look at verse number 9. So whether we are at home in the body, in this tent, or away with the Lord, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due, what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. No question the first part of chapter 5 of Second Corinthians, Paul has an eternal perspective and he challenges you, challenges us to think uh, on eternity, to think eternally. First of all, you need to know you have an eternal body, an eternal body. Not this one, not this tent. This tent is temporary. But Paul teaches at the beginning of this text that there is a, a permanent dwelling, a permanent body that we're going to get one day. And are you really thankful that this isn't the whole thing you're going to go with in life with? Like, like eternity with? Like I'm really thankful there's a new body. And I'm kind of hoping it looks a little bit like Captain America, Chris Evans. You know, I'm really, 
That's what I'm aiming for. Like I want that to be there. But until I get there, I still have this body, but it's temporary. So I have a, I have an eternal body. My mind should be thinking about what is to come. Not only an eternal body, but I have an eternal purpose. I have an eternal purpose. Let your eyes fall on verse number nine. So he's using this language of at home, at home is alive in this body or away, being away with the Lord. So it says in verse number nine, whether I am at home or away, we make it our aim to be well pleasing to him or well pleasing to God. That's our aim. We make it our aim. We make it our purpose to be well pleasing to God, whether I'm alive or dead. That's like all the time. That's, that's all encompassing. So, so tomorrow, what should be your purpose to be well pleasing to God? Come on, say it with me. Your purpose should be, be well pleasing to God, to be well pleasing to God. How much would change if you had that thought of, does this thing I'm going to say right now, is this well pleasing to God? Is this thought I'm pondering right now? Is this thought well-pleasing to God? Is this show I'm watching, this thing I'm doing well-pleasing to God? Now, by the way, I think that that doesn't mean you can't eat hamburgers. I think you can eat hamburgers as long as you say, God, thank you for this delicious hamburger or taco or whatever it is in your life. I don't know. It's lunchtime, so I'm making you hungry. Should I keep going on food, pizza, fried chicken, you know, all the things? But you can eat those things as long as the glory is not ending here but the glory is going on to a god who has given us these things so so you got an eternal purpose and we also have this coming an eternal judgment and we see that in the text let your eyes fall on verse number 10 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ to receive what was done in the body whether it, it, it ends there saying whether good or evil the word evil there is uh, better understood as good or worthless, useful or worthless. And there's some, there's some wrong teaching about this. Uh, Moody used to teach that what would happen is when you got to heaven, all the sins you ever committed would be shown to everybody. So Aaron gets to heaven and he gets up there. Come here, bud. And, and, uh, yeah, and, and, uh, thanks for the video earlier of all the things. So I appreciate that, girl, Aaron. And so if you're going to watch this video of all Aaron's sin this week, no, we're not going to do that. Cause there wouldn't be any, right? Live perfectly this week. That's a big download. Okay. All right. It's a big download, he said. Uh, but yeah, that's not what's going to happen. We're not going to go and show all of Aaron's sin to the world. Have a seat. Why? Because Aaron's sin, when he asked Christ to be his savior and he asked God to forgive him, Aaron's sin is cast as far as the, is from the west. It's buried in the deepest sea and it's remembered no more. That's not, that's not what's going to happen. To add a little more clarity though, I do want to show you this text. And this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let your eyes fall on it. I'll put it on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talking about the same event describes it this way. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work uh, that has been built upon the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but it's only through fire. So look, it's just going to be, what are you doing with your life? What works are you doing? Hey, let's put that work to the test. Let's put it in a fire and see what's done for God's glory. What's done for the furtherance of the gospel. What's done for Jesus Christ. That stuff is going to be gold and silver reward. We can lay back at his feet. But the stuff done for us, 
The stuff done for me and my name and my glory, that garbage is going to burn away. And you lived a life this week. And you did a bunch of stuff. And how much of that is going to be burned away? Man, Pastor, that doesn't sound very grace-centered. Well, look at verse 11. Knowing therefore the fear of the Lord. There's an element where we have to let these things weigh on us. Now, again, it's not your salvation at stake if you know the Lord, but what is at stake is, are you going to be able to lay reward at his feet? And because I love him so much, I want to be able to do that. But I'm wondering how often you're thinking about that. See, our tendency is to live in the now. Like, I want to live in the now. I want to live in the now. It feels good now. And we don't rarely, we rarely, not often think about the then, what's coming then. So I'm uh, exercising again. You guys all knew that though, right? It was all evident, right? Totally. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Jerks. And, uh, you know, and I gotta be careful about my motive. I really gotta be careful about my motivation. Okay. Cause you know, I've, I've been public and transparent about the fact that I really love the appraise of men, the approval of men. So I really, you know, that can easily be a temptation. I just want to look good. You know, I, I want to be the poster that Chris Evans puts up in his wall to say, that's what I want to be. You know, that's what I want to be in my, my world. But I gotta be careful about that, you know, not wanting to, to look like that. But, 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 so right now, I really am motivated, but I'm motivated by this. You know, my dad is getting up in age and, and there's some health things he's struggling with right now. And I'm, and I'm kind of looking and saying, okay, what can I do now to avoid those issues then? What can I do now to keep my heart healthy, to keep my, you know, blood sugar in the right spots, to keep all of that down? And, and I'm, you know, do the research. People who exercise at least 90 minutes a day have their heart rate up at least 90 minutes a day, uh, a week, uh, really dramatically drop their potential heart disease. And the more you exercise, the more that drops down. So what can I do now to impact then? And I think we've got to have that kind of eternal perspective. So here's a couple of questions. How much does heaven occupy my mind? Are your mind for, for, for you, for us, or for other people, like realizing everybody is going to be in front of the Lord one day? How does thinking about then, the then judgment seat of Christ, impact the way we see life now? How does thinking about the then judgment seat of Christ impact the way we see our life right now? Again, that, that I'm working for something greater than right now. I'm working for something later and having that in mind. In what ways can you remind yourself this week that you are living for something eternal and not just temporary? Something eternal and not just temporary. So some questions to ponder and to consider. Because this is what ambassadors do. And this is the impact of the gospel. Because I know that this is not all there is to life. The gospel changes the way I see my forever. The gospel gives me a new focus on eternity. But also this, write this down. We're going to go down the text now and see this. Uh, the gospel gives me a new focus on centrality, on centrality. What do I mean by that? Well, let me ask you this question. What's the center of your life? Who is the center of your life? Now, we all know what the answer should be. So I'm going to ask the question again. You go ahead and give me the answer. Uh, who should be the center of our life? Jesus. Okay. Amen. And we're all probably striving for that. And we're all probably hitting that at various degrees. And none of us are hitting it perfectly. Can I get a witness? So we want to live for Jesus. We want him to be the center. But here's an interesting way of thinking about it. 
It's like you're evaluating, am I there? Well, let me ask you this question. Are you more concerned about what people think about you? Or are you more concerned about what people think about Jesus? Are you living more for what others think about you and their opinion of you? Or are you living more for what others think about Jesus? And if we're really living with Jesus as the center, he's going to be our primary concern. Now, why am I going into all that? Well, let me show you in the text, because this is where the text goes. Take a look at verse number 12. Verse number 12. So the ending of verse number 11, let's go back to 11. Therefore, uh, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's known also to your conscience. So Paul's saying, I hope you know who I am. I hope you know me. There's a reason why he's doing this. Verse number 12. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what's in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right minds, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Okay, interesting text here. Now what's happening, we believe, is Paul is answering some critics. Because after he wrote 1 Corinthians, some false teachers came into the church in Corinth. They began saying things like this. They began saying, that Paul guy, man, he's not very impressive. He's not very handsome. He's not very good looking. He's not very impressive. He's kind of weak when he's in the pulpit. He's kind of weak when he's teaching. Plus, he's a little crazy. He's a little crazy. What do I know he's saying that? Well, if you came into the room and you heard Craig and I talking, and all of a sudden I say, Craig, I am too a good basketball player. You would know that he probably just said what? You're not a very good basketball player. And so my argument to him would reveal his accusations against me. And Paul's arguments in the text reveal what the accusations were. Now, by the way, if you did happen into that, two things you need to know. Craig would never say that about me because he's too nice. But if he did, it would be true because I'm a really bad, bad basketball player. I have one claim to fame, man. I, I In dorm ball, one time I accidentally threw the ball up and I went through the hoop. So I have two points to my name. You Hoosiers, don't stare at me like that. Okay, listen, there's more to life Hoosiers than basketball, okay? So, um, what? <laughs> Jesus. Now, I, anyway, so anyway, I'll just say, there's, there's a, uh, uh, so the accusations were being made against him. So look what Paul does. Paul is saying, uh, uh, if I'm out of my mind, the whole, uh, in verse 13, it says, if we beside ourselves, if we're beside ourselves, it is for God. And what he's saying by that is that if I'm, if the word means crazy. The idea is crazy. They call him crazy. Saying, if I am crazy, it's for God. And if I'm in my right mind, it's for you. Because it's not about what people think. It's not about them looking at the outward appearance. They're all caught up in the outward appearance. It's not about the outward appearance. It's really about what's in the heart. And so therefore, the love of Christ controls me. Because we've concluded this, that one died for all, and he died for all. That those who live may no longer live for themselves, for him who died and was raised again. Verse 15. The motivation is, I'm not living for me, man. I'm living for Jesus. I'm not living for what others think about me. I'm living for what others think about Jesus. It is for Christ that I am beside myself. I think some Christians believe this. I think some Christians think that. And they just are nice enough and sweet enough that the world is going to come around and say, you are so awesome and so nice 
and so sweet. Would you tell me about Jesus? Do you know chances are that's not going to happen? Chances are that if you make your stand for Christ, especially in our culture, and you say, there's one way, and it's Jesus, and that sin is wrong, and you make that stand, the world is not going to love you. The world is going to hate you. And if we're really going to be ambassadors, we've got to get our focus not on what they think about me, but what they think about Christ. And look at verse 15 again. Check this out. Verse 15 is weighty. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake was died, who died and was raised. And how do you get there? Come on now. Think about your past week. Were you there? Did what people think about Christ take more of your thought than what they think about us? Probably not. I wasn't there. I should have been. But how do you get there? By leaving this service and saying, tomorrow I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it. No, look at verse 14. To get to 15, you have to go through 14. For the church, look, for the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ controls us because he loves me. That's why I want to do this. Because I'm so loved by God. That's why I want to do it. We looked at this last week in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3 says this. That, um, that so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in. Read the word church. Love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. To know the, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what you're standing on. The fact that God loves you so much, it can't be measured. Man, he loves me. And because he loves me, I'm going to take all of my energy and I'm going to put it. That's what the word compels me. I'm going to put it to this very thing so that I'm not living for me. I'm living for Christ. If we're going to be ambassadors, we have a new focus on centrality, a new focus on centrality. So a couple questions here for you. Are you living life left? Are you growing in your love of Jesus? Or are you tending to get stuck in the fear of man? That, that's the difference. Growing in the knowledge of his love for you, how much he loves us. The more I realize that, the less I care about what others think. Because I'm loved by him. In what ways can you keep the love of Jesus in front of you? Verses, worship songs, whatever it is, just keep that love in front of you. And what keeps you from believing it deeper? If there are things that are like, okay, you're saying God loves me all the time, but this. Is that you? You say God loves me all the time, Pastor, but... What I'm wondering is if you don't need to talk to somebody and have them help unpack all of that for you to see the love of Christ. Well, nothing is blocking that deeper love. If we're going to be ambassadors, it's going to mean a new focus on eternity. The gospel changes the way I see my forever. A new focus on uh, centrality. The gospel changes the way I see my life. A new focus on potentiality. Write this down. Next uh, thing, a new uh, focus on intentionality, uh, potentiality, potentiality, or the gospel changes the way I see others. 
Well, this is coming from verse number 16. Let your eyes fall on verse number 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. So pause for a moment. Follow his argument. All of these accusers just look at me in the flesh, Paul says. And they think I'm weak and they, and they, and they, they think I'm crazy. They have all these accusations against me. But look, it's not about the outward appearance. It's about the heart. Therefore, we're not going to look at anybody's outward appearance and regard them just by the flesh. Even though once, in verse 16, even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. So here's what he's saying. We often use it for ourselves. I'm a new creation. I'm a new creation. And you are. And for that very joy that you're a new creation, we all say, Amen. Thank you, Lord, for making me a new creation. I want to be new. I want to continue to change. But that's not really the focus here. The focus here is really how you see other people. Can he really ever? I don't think he'll ever come to Jesus. I don't think she'll ever change. I don't think that's going to happen for them. And we tend to look at people and we look with more doubt than we do with hope. But are you the same? Please, please tell me you're not the same as you were before you were saved. <laughs> please say, Pastor, I'm not the same. Come on, admit it to me right now. Say, I'm not the same. I hope you're not the same. And if you are, let's talk. But, but you're not the same. You were once one way and now you're another way. How many of you had a chance to watch the, this, the, uh, series the chosen man i love the chosen it's such a good thing and if you watch that i'm going to let you watch that on your own if you watch that at some point you're going to see mary magdalene come to know jesus in episode one she's called um lilith and she struggles with demon possession she struggles with alcoholism she struggles with other vices that would accompany all of that and so everyone knows her as lilith but jesus finds her and jesus calls her mary and Jesus comes to her and he says, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. And she weeps and falls into his embrace. And a little bit later in the story, Nicodemus finds her because he tried to cast these demons out and he couldn't do it. And Nicodemus finds her and begins to talk to her. And, and she says, listen, I don't, I don't know what happened, but here's what I know. I was once one way and now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. There's no one beyond the reach of Christ and we have been changed. And because we have been changed, our motivation is to help other people change. But it's hard to believe. Some people seem really far from Christ. That's why I love the story of Nate Saint and Makanye. Have you probably heard this story before? Uh, Steve Saint was a missionary with Jim Elliott, one of those that were killed by the Incan Indians. These Indians that came and they killed these guys. And this is now uh, years later, Elizabeth Elliott went back to that village, began preaching the gospel. Many were saved, and this man, Makanye, was saved and gloriously changed and began to enter into ministry with Steve's son, Nate. And Nate and this guy went around preaching the gospel together. The gospel can reach anybody. And the impact can be huge. And as you look at those around you, this is what I'm trying to say to you. A new focus. What do you see when you see your coworkers? Irritating people? Not me. That's, that's you guys. My coworkers are awesome. 
But maybe in your life, they're like, boy, these people, man, that, that gal, she's, she's always complaining. That dude's always hogging the coffee. He grabbed my lunch. He took my lunch. Can't believe he grabbed my lunch. I have my name on it. You know, we can see people for who they are and be irritated with them. But why not begin to see them with a new focus, what they can be in Christ? When you think about the potential people have in Christ, what they can become, does that excite you? Have you given up hope on someone? How can you intentionally focus with hope on what Christ can do in, the, in someone's life? Some ways to remind yourself of that. Church, I want to challenge you to have a new focus on eternity. The gospel changes the way I see my forever. I want you to have a new focus on centrality. The gospel changes the way I see my life. I want you to have a new focus on potentiality. Gospel changes the way I see other people. And then lastly, this, a new focus on identity, on identity. The gospel changes the way I see myself. The gospel changes the way I see myself. All right, so we've been through 1 through 11, been through 12 through 15. Then we walk through 16 and 17. Where should we go next? Let's go to 18. Why not? It's right there in the text. We're just taking a passage of scripture apart. So here's verse number 18. All this from God, all this glorious thing about being a new creation, about, about changing who we are, all this from God, who uh, in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or sins against them, and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin. Sorry, I have several versions memorized. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A couple things about that. Church, you have a ministry. Let me talk about the ministry you have. You've been called to ministry. I want you to say it. I've been called to ministry. Say it. I've been called to ministry. You've been called to ministry. You've been given a, a ministry. The ministry is an ambassador of Jesus Christ, an ambassador of Christ. Now, chances are, if we were hanging out and doing coffee and Joe and I are sitting down to coffee, Joe, we're sitting down to coffee together. <laughs> Wake up. Good morning. <laughs> and, and, uh, we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit. And I, and first time we're meeting, we're just going to get to know each other. Say, so, Hey, Joe, tell me about, about yourself. And chances are he's going to say, well, I'm a state trooper because that's what Joe is. And, uh, I love to throw people in jail and I love to taser them. That's my favorite <laughs> thing to do. And, uh, um, or whatever, but he's going to tell me, and, and typically what guys do is guys identify themselves by their job, by their occupation. Hi, I'm Darren. I'm a music teacher. Hi, I'm Craig, and I, I still don't know what you do. Like You're one of my best friends, and I still don't know what you do, but whatever you do is awesome, okay? And we tend to identify ourselves based upon women tend to say, hey, I am Lindsay, and I'm a mother of four, five. Six? How many are we expecting here? All right, three. Okay, great. I never see the kids. You drop them off before you get here, okay? So give me some slack. So uh, I'm a mother. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a wife. And women tend to identify themselves based upon relationship. And that's typically how that rolls out. And, and when we do that, here's, here's what I want to say to you. Before you are anything else, you are first an ambassador for Christ. Before you are anything else, you are first an ambassador of Christ. You've been entrusted with a message. You've been given a ministry. That ministry 
is a reckon is an ambassador of Christ. Does that make sense? You're not a realtor first. You're not a baker first. I'm not a pastor first. I'm an ambassador first. Because here's what happens in life, right? If that becomes who you are, if that's your identity, that's what you're going to walk around thinking about all the time. And it's really easy to get lost in the temporal. And I want you to see that you're called to a greater purpose, man. You've been called to a greater purpose. And I want you to live in that purpose, something greater, a kingdom calling that you have. And let's live in that. Not only have you been giving a ministry, you've been given a message, the message. And the message is a message of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation. The word is in the text several times. God was reconciling the word world to himself, giving us the message of reconciliation. It says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Nessus have already picked on them. Let me pick again on Joe and on Craig. Would you guys come up here for a minute, please? And I'm going to make Joe uh, at God. And I'm going to make Craig a sinful man. If you don't know, you should know. Okay, this is, there's a very good reason because Craig's a sinner. And so is Joe, but uh, Craig's worse. So anyway, uh, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Love you so much. Uh, so when God created man, I know I've done this several times, but it's helpful to see it again. When God created man, he created man to have a relationship, face one another. Join hands. Don't know really. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But uh, so, but God created God created man to be in fellowship with God, and this is our truest sense of well being. This is what we're created for. This is our deepest satisfaction, our deepest joy is to be in relationship with God. Right? Not just us, but everybody. Listen, I'm saying it again. Their deepest joy, their deepest satisfaction, the reason why they were created is to enjoy a relationship with God. Lottie Dottie, everybody. But man in his sin turned from God. And because God is holy, he turned his back on man. Holy, holy. He, couldn't, he couldn't. He couldn't stay in relationship because of sin. But God in his love sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, he gave God the ability to turn back to man. Man's sin has been covered. We are now made the righteousness of God. And that happened. So now man can turn back and be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to him. Be brought back into a right relationship. Thank you, guys. Do you remember when that happened for you? Do you remember? If you don't, let's talk. Do you remember when you were saved? And brought back into that right relationship? Are you walking in the joy of that relationship now, being close to him? Because you've been given that message. You've been entrusted with that message. And God has reconciled the world. He's already paid for their trespasses. And now we want to, here's the next word, passion. We want to implore them on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. The word implore there, it means to ask with urgency, to beg, to plead. Please be reconciled to God. Please be reconciled to him. And when we get it deep down, when we understand, when we look with eternal eyes, we begin to see this fact. It's either heaven or it's hell, and that's it. For everybody. It's one of two. And the only thing that changes from hell to heaven is if they're reconciled to God through Christ or not. And the only reason they're going to do that is if they hear the story, the message of reconciliation. And how can they hear unless someone is sent? And you've been sent. And I've been sent. And we should have a passion 
to preach the gospel. And it's hard. It's hard to do it. It's interesting because a study was done as to why it's so hard. Evangelism Explosion did a study as to why is it so hard for people to actually share the gospel. And there's some things we would assume. We would assume that, first of all, maybe they don't know the gospel. Yeah, I think you know the gospel. Maybe it's that they're afraid of being rejected. Do you know that fear of rejection was not the number one reason? The number one reason overwhelmingly was people didn't feel worthy to share the gospel. I sinned this week again. I'm not the super saint I thought I would be by this time. Like I'm not measuring up. How, how could I preach the gospel when I am the way that I am? So let's talk then lastly about the position that you have. The position that you have. This is how Paul ends the text in verse number 21. Take a look at this. Verse 21 says this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So we celebrate in communion today. He took sin in his body and his body was broken. He took sin in his body and his blood was shed to pay for that sin. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the, what does the Bible say there? We become the righteousness of God. That that means the right standing before God. You have a right standing before God because you were awesome this week? No, because Christ was paid for your sin. And so if you want to be right enough and holy enough and good enough to share the gospel, then confess your sin and he's faithful and just to forgive us of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Uh, It takes about 30 seconds. And all of a sudden, you've confessed that sin, you've, you've, you've mourned it, and now you're right with God again, and now you can share the gospel again. Okay. Now, I recognize very surely that this is not the first time you've heard a message on evangelism. If this is the first time you've ever heard a message on evangelism, would you raise your hand? Okay, right. No one has, you know, the first time they've heard it is today, chances are. Chances are you've heard many, many messages on evangelism. But the question is, okay, pastor, I want to do this. I want to do this. How do I do this? And I think a mistake that many pastors have made is to beat the sheep to go and share the gospel, but not equip the sheep to share the gospel. And so what I want to do today is to give you a tool to help you actually put to practice the things that I'm calling you to do. And we're going to do this right now. The ushers are going to hand out to you a little notebook here. This notebook, I hope, will become a tool for you to learn how to share the gospel. So as they hand that out, and everyone should get a copy of this, at least every couple, every family should get at least one copy. I don't care if a husband and wife each want a copy. That's fine with me. But I want you to get this in your hand, uh, and um, then, then I want to show that how this works. I've been talking for a while now and from time to time putting in my sermons these four c words connect care communicate continue connect care communicate continue so here let me unpack what this is uh very often i talk about the bridge of intentionality i talk about it in counseling i talk about it in the sermons because there's knowing the word of god and there's doing the word of god there's knowing the word of god and there's doing the word of god and how do we get from knowing to doing how do we bridge that gap well we need some intentionality we need a plan to help us get from knowing to doing and what i want to 
put in your hand then is a plan, a way to get this with being an ambassador. I think this is a lifestyle. Can I say that again? Being an ambassador is a lifestyle. So in other words, as you live your life, you live it as an ambassador. Now, how many here have a busy life? Raise your hand. My hand is up because we have a busy, busy life. And, uh, I mean, kids have so many activities. There's all these kind of things going on. And you think about, man, you're talking about adding on this whole thing about preaching the gospel and how do I do that? I'm not asking you to add anything else to your life. I'm asking you to, as you live your life, live it as an ambassador. Um, Matt Chandler had a whole message on this. It was awesome because we've been planning this for months now. And it just happened to a couple weeks before I'm preaching this. He preached it in his church. Very similar uh, idea. But I love what he said. I'm not asking you to add another dinner. I'm asking you to add another chair. Invite people into your life. And look at the people around you. And I want you as a couple to begin to pray and to say, who has God put in our life that we can reach? And I want you to pick five people. And what I want you to do is take those people and write their names down on page three. Got this page here, my neighbors. And I want you to write down. Now, they don't have to be your physical neighbors. They can be, but they don't have to be. They can be coworkers. They can be people in your life. I would encourage you to look for people who are coming out from under rocks. Do you know what I mean by that? Okay, here's what I mean by that. Um, put a rock on their head. And that, no, what I mean by that is um, um, Jesus would reach not the Pharisees because they didn't think they needed him, but he reached the woman at the well who was caught in sin and despondent and needed. Jesus reached the leper. Jesus reached the sinner and people who were coming out from difficult circumstances. We call them ripe fruit as opposed to not ripe fruit. We often try to pick the not ripe fruit, the green tomatoes instead of the ripe red tomatoes to say these people are ready to hear it. So look for those people and then choose them. And then what you're going to do is you're going to just connect with them. And what you want to learn, so each neighbor then is broken in to these sections. So I have five different sections that are very similar. So section one is just here's neighbor one. And I want to write down their name, their address, their phone number, their email, who their spouse is, who their kids are. I'm going to write it all down. And I want to get to know them a little bit better. So I'm going to plan some connection times. What are we going to do? Maybe have them over for dinner, maybe plan a kid's play date, maybe grab dinner somewhere. But I got this person I'm trying to reach, and I'm going to be very intentional about doing something to get to know them better. So what are we going to do, and when are we going to do this? So uh, on Thursday, October 6th, I have no idea if that's really a Thursday or not, we're going to go out to dinner with the Smiths. And you're going to write that down, and you're going to plan that out, okay? So you're going to make intentional plans of connecting with them. Then what you're trying to do is figure out what their needs are, and that's where the care comes in. What do they need? What are the greatest needs in their life? How can I love them? How can I show them love? Because I really believe this. People don't care what you know until they know you care. And though that's kind of cliche, it's very true. And I want you to just show people how much you love them by actually meeting needs in their life. And so begin to do that. Begin to do that. Now, the problem with a lot of church evangelism today is that that's where it ends, as if that's the gospel. But that's not the gospel. Because not only do you have to care for them, you also have to communicate. And you have to tell them the gospel. Now, in the back of the book, I've included an appendix, an appendices. And in here is uh, a, a our workbook that we use to talk about reaching uh, outreach and how to preach the gospel. So this is really how to share the gospel and w- work through this lesson. 
And we're going to try to help you get very practical about sharing the gospel. One of the things that you'll see in there is, is just this, this conversation flow. Now, I've taught this for years, literally for years. Since I was a youth pastor, I've been teaching this. And Matt Chandler taught something really similar in his message. And I liked his words better. So I changed it to be his words. Uh, so I don't care. I steal from people all the time. And it's okay. Uh, we all steal from each other. Pastors do. But anyway, listen. It's a surface conversation into serious conversation, into spiritual conversation, into gospel presentation as I'm doing life. So I get my haircut often at the Great Clips over here on Maysville Road because it's right here near the office. I can go over there. I'm intentional to go there frequently because I want to get to know those people better. And the same gal, if I can get the same guy or gal to cut my hair on a regular basis, then I can begin to talk to them and get to know them. We'll start with service conversation. Man, the weather ain't crazy. I love the fall. It's getting colder. Hey, how about pumpkin spice? You know, things like that. And their response is really going to be, can I go further or not? You know, if they're super encouraged by pumpkin spice, it's going to be, it's going to be shaky ground for sure. No, I'm just kidding. My wife loves pumpkin spice, so. But you get the idea. Surface conversation, surface conversation, but then eventually... We're going to get into serious conversation. Hey, hey, you know, thanks for cutting my hair again, Mary. Oh, you're, you're welcome. How are you doing today? You know, not great. Remember my boyfriend I was talking to you about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, he left me this week. Oh, I'm so sorry. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Can we pray together? And then I'm going to try to get from serious conversation into spiritual conversation. Hey, Mary, I'm praying because I believe that God hears prayer. And I believe that Jesus is real. And I've seen it in my life. Where are you at on all that? And again, I kind of have questions for you in the book to kind of help you with that. And then getting into, let me, let me tell you about what Jesus has done. Let me tell you about that. So see how this works. And you're just reaching people. You're trying to get the conversation to flow into a way to present the gospel. And this is how we live, church. This is how it looks like to be an ambassador. And so I hope it helps. So take this. Set up an appointment with your spouse or whoever you live with. Get connected with them. Begin to pray about those five people. Pick those five people. Have this in a place where you're going to see it on a regular basis. In the weeks to come, we're going to give you things to remind you about getting this done. And we're just trying to, you know, we're just, we're, we're, we're good at reaching Wabash. Let's go to Wabash and get those people saved. Way over there. Let's go to Croatia. Get those Croatians saved. But how, how about those right here? And this is a way to do, do outreach here and to display Christ here and to make him known here. Cool beans? That's the conclusion to the sermon. Take that, rock it out. Let me pray for us. God, we just need your help with this. I'm praying that this becomes a handy, convenient way for us to begin to think about how to reach our neighbors really for Jesus. Would you begin to lay people on the hearts of the people in this room? Father, would you help them to be intentional about reaching out and connecting, to put dates on the calendar, to get to know these people, to hear their needs. Then begin reaching their needs, reaching out in love, doing acts of love to show them how much they love Christ. And then, Father, to get an opportunity to share the gospel. And we're just going to give you the praise for what you're going to do for the people that come to know you. Lord, would you let many thousands come to know you as Savior through the ministry here. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One word before you leave, that word is hospitality. I think it's going to be one of the keys of reaching our culture today for Jesus, having people into your home, reaching out in love around your table, and seeing what God would do with that. Thank you, church. You are loved.